You know, most people think that we're nuts. You ever thought about that? I probably don't have to tell you, if you are living on mission for Christ, you've had people kind of have that look and be like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? In 2014, Dr. Kent Brantley, he did something that was bold, something that was, something that was uh, impossible to fully understand in human terms. He got on an airplane and he flew into the middle of Ebola-ridden Liberia leaving behind the potential of a prosperous career, leaving behind a young, young children, leaving behind a loving wife to go to the front lines of a devastating disease. As many of you know, while he was there with Samaritan's Purse, he contracted Ebola himself, a disease that is fatal 90% of the time and entirely incurable. He was life flighted home so that they could begin caring for him. And the CDC could do all of their, the things that they do. And Ann Coulter, if you'll remember, Ann Coulter wrote a scathing article rebuking Dr. Brantley for the work that he did. In her article, Ann Coulter calls him idiotic. She says, and I quote, why did Dr. Brantley have to go to Africa? The very first risk factor listed by the Mayo Clinic for Ebola, an incurable disease with a 90% fatality rate, is travel to Africa. In other words, Ann Coulter viewed Dr. Brantley as being crazy, as being foolish, as being illogical and irrational and even irresponsible, as she would go on to say. That her worldview, her framework was incapable of understanding how a man would leave a place of prosperity, a place in which he was well, a place where his family lives, a place in which he could be esteemed and have influence and be prominent, to go to a place where nobody really cares. How would a doctor risk his life for Africans? You see, the Christian life is illogical and irrational to an unbelieving world. This is the picture of what it means to live for Christ in a devolving world. See, every single one of us is living in the tension of being torn between two worlds. Our home is not here. Our home is in glory, in the presence of Christ forever. But though our home is not here, we reside here. And we are called to live here in a way that is loving and kind and as missionaries sent by Almighty God to all peoples in all nations. And so we live in the tension of what it means to be a resident here when we are citizens of another land, citizens of another nation. And so what I want to look at this morning is the logic that's behind the Christian life. Because see, I believe that if the scriptures are true, I believe that if God is reigning from his throne, that if Christ has truly been raised from the dead, that what Dr. Brantley did is far more rational, far more logical than the safe life of Ann Coulter. That it's the most logical way to live and use the days that the Lord has given you in this land. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, so that we can see the logic of the gospel centered life. Philippians chapter one, your Bible ought to be breaking into Philippians about now, right? Like you ought to be kind of just falling open to Philippians. And so when you get there, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? 
Philippians chapter one, verse 21, and we'll read through verse 26. God's word says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. So the first layer of logic to the gospel-centered life that I think that we see here in the life of Paul is that gospel-centered lives want Christ only. Gospel-centered lives want Christ only. We catch Paul here in what is a moment of contemplation. If you'll remember where we landed last week in verse 20, Paul says, I'm going to honor Christ. I'm going to magnify Christ. That whatever it takes in my life, I'm going to make Christ larger in the eyes of others. I'm going to make Christ larger in the eyes of his church. I'm going to increase his glory, increase his exaltation. I'm going to magnify Christ, whether in life or in death. And so what we have in our passage this morning is where Paul is taking it aside. He's taking it aside to contemplate what that may actually look like. Remember, Paul is in a Roman prison. He is under the threat of going to the chopping block and having his head cleaned off of his shoulders. And so he writes it in the light, in the gravity of that realization that I may not escape. It may really be that I magnify Christ in my death. It may really be that I magnify Christ in my suffering. And so he, he takes it aside to begin contemplating what that would look like and how it is that a man like Paul can have joy and peace and contentment in light of all of these other realities and be able to say, I'm going to magnify Christ whether they kill me or whether I live, whether I breathe or whether I enter into glory. And so he begins to say, he starts off in verse 26 and he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the thesis statement of what he's trying to communicate here, right? That, that, that's the thesis behind how it is that it is logical, rational, reasonable, and even right and good that he would be able to glorify and magnify Christ whether he lives or whether he dies. Now, the first part of that is probably the most difficult for us to understand. It's, it feels a bit abstract, right? Like, what does he mean when he says, for me, to live is Christ. Like, does he mean to live is to share in the sufferings of Christ? Does he, does he mean that to live is to, in some way, like Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, no longer I live, but Christ who lives through me. So is, is, he, is he saying something like that? Is he, is he speaking to our union with Christ? I, I'm going to abide with Christ. Like, what exactly is he talking about when he says, for me, to live is Christ? And I think every single one of those things is encompassed. But I think what he's wanting us to see is as he contemplates the rationale behind his lifestyle, the rationale behind his suffering, that he wants us to process all of it in terms of gains and losses. In terms of gains and losses. I say that because of what he says in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, I think he tells us what it means that for me to live is Christ. He says in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul is released and he li- if, if Paul is released and he lives, he says that he is going to compare everything to Christ. And he's gonna say, whatever suffering I endure, whatever prison sentence I have, whatever infirmities and afflictions I face, whether they stone me or they embrace me, whether they attempt to behead me or they are brought into deliverance, whatever happens, whatever takes place, what I am certain of, what I'm certain of is that all of those losses, all of those hardships, all of those afflictions are loss. They are nothing in comparison to gaining Christ. In fact, he's saying that it's not about the prizes of this world. It's not about the treasures that I can find here. It's not about my ascent through life. It's not about my career advancement. It's not about realizing my aspirations. Because my prize is Christ. I want Christ. I just need Christ. So if I have Christ, if I am secure in Him, if I am abiding in Him, if I am walking with Him, then whatever afflictions may come, whatever hardships I may face, whatever difficulties they are, whatever dreams I give up, whatever aspirations go unrealized, I count them as rubbish anyway. I count them as loss anyway, because what I want is Christ and Christ alone. And he has come to me. He has come to me. He is mine forever. See, both, we're we're seeing what we're seeing Paul do here is he's taking two different scenarios, life and death, and he's applying the gospel to both. He's saying, whether I, if I'm alive, I'm going to live out the gospel. I'm going to apply the gospel to my life and live a gospel-centered life. If I die, I'm going to apply the gospel to that. And I'm going to realize that it's all about gains and losses. And as long as I have Christ, I have gain. So he begins to apply it to the second scenario, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, so if I am living, if I am using all of my heartbeats, and all of my oxygen, and all of my minutes, and all of my seconds, and all of my hours, if I'm using all of those to pursue Christ, to long for Christ, to strive for Christ, to to yearn for Christ, if they kill me, guess what I get? I get Christ. I get Christ most fully and ultimately. I get Christ fully realized, fully enjoyed. I will leave the suffering behind. I will leave my chains behind. I will leave my oppression behind and I will be ushered into the very presence of the risen Christ. I will be with Christ and that is gain. All of my losses will melt. All of my hardships will melt. All of my concerns will melt. All of my tears will melt. All of my anxiety will melt. I will be with Christ. So it's gain. Because even if they do what is worse, worse for me here on earth, they're going to give me what I really want. I want Christ only. You see, brothers and sisters, in Christ, what appears to be a loss is ultimately a gain. In Christ, what appears to be a loss is ultimately a gain. We take as Christians the way that we're able to endure loss 
The way that we're able to get in an airplane and leave behind a family that we adore and a family that adores us and fly into the middle of Ebola-ridden Liberia, the way that we're able to send our children to the other side of the world courageously has nothing to do with us. It, ha it has to do with how we measure gains and losses. It is to say that if I suffer, if I contract an incurable disease in Liberia, I'm going to view it through the lens that Christ is what I want, that Christ is what I gain, that no matter what I lose for following Christ, no matter what I endure for following Christ, I'm going to view that affliction through the lens and in the light of what it means that I have still yet gained Christ. Because if I have gained Christ and Christ is what I want, that in the eyes of Christ, through the scope of the gospel, through the lens of the risen Savior, then what I can know is in spite of every loss, I have a net gain. I have a net gain. And so in living, there are no losses. There are only gains. And in dying, and in dying, there is not even suffering. There is not even suffering. And in dying, there is not even the potential for affliction. In dying, there is not even the potential of grieving Christ any longer. In dying, there is not even the potential of, of guilt. In dying, there is not even the potential of that condemning voice revisiting me again. No, in, in dying, there is no loss to even measure in sight of the gospel. There is only the gospel fully realized, Christ fully realized in every conceivable way. So I can face my chains with courage. I can face the chopping block with courage. I can face my oppressors and my persecutors with courage because they can do nothing to take away from me that which I have, that which I want. This morning, I wonder, how do you measure gains and losses in your life? How do you measure gains and losses? If it comes down to magnifying Christ and being alone or having a date, how you measure what is loss and what is gain. If it comes down to the ethics of Christ, to the glory of Christ, or to the realization of career advancement, how will you measure gains and how will you measure losses? When it comes down to teaching your children to live with integrity and to walk with the Lord or to help them make better on a test or get the scholarship that they want and that you need, what will you choose? What is a gain and what is a loss? Christ is magnified in us, brothers and sisters, when he is contentment enough for us. That even if I don't get the scholarship, even if I don't get the promotion, even if I don't get the date, even if I never marry, even if I never have the child that I so desperately want, even if my life goes unsettled in every way that I have written it, so long as I have Christ, I have what I want. And when Christ is contentment enough for us, Christ will be magnified through us. That is what Christ is refining in us through affliction. That is what Christ is revealing through the church, that he is sufficient in all things, in the face of all hardship, in the face of all illness, that Christ is sufficient and that Christ is the prize and Christ will be ultimately and finally yours someday. So the second layer so, so the first layer of logic behind the gospel-centered life is that we only want Christ. We only want Christ. The second layer is, is that you receive what you want. 
You receive what you want. If all you want is Christ and you already, you're already in Christ now and will be with Christ eternally, if joy is having what you want and all you want is Christ, your joy is secure because Christ is yours and you are Christ. Think about that. We, we kind of understand that so much of happiness and joy is being able to have what you want, right? You can go on Facebook and you can see that this is what our world is pursuing. This is what they're chasing. This is why the average American has $10,000 in credit card debt. Because they want to be happy. They want joy. And so they slide the card to buy what they can't afford because they believe that the debt is worth the joy. They believe that the payment is worth the happiness. And so they slide, but then it goes away quickly and remorse sets in. And the only way that they know to cope with it is retail therapy, right? And so they slide it again and they slide it again. And they have a household filled with clothes, furniture, a garage filled with cars. And they have a soul that is empty, thirsty, and parched. Because you see, brothers, Joy is about having what you want. But joy comes from wanting the right thing and having the right thing. Happiness comes from wanting Christ, longing for Christ, yearning for Christ, and having Christ. That's the freedom of the Christian life. The Christian life is freedom because all you want is Christ and you have him forever. All I want is Jesus Jesus has secured me forever, so I have all I want, I have all I need, I have all I long for, not just today, not just yesterday, not just tomorrow, but for a billion years, yet only the beginning. I have all I need for joy, for contentment, for peace, forever. This is why Paul's playing out hypotheticals here, right? So, some people come to Philippians chapter 1 and they think that Paul is suicidal. Paul is not suicidal, all right? Paul is not here pretending as though he actually has a decision to make, okay? He, he, Paul is well aware. You can read in verse 25, he even says, convinced of this, I know what's going to happen. I know that I'm going to remain with you. Because what Paul understands is Paul is a servant to the will of God. But what he's doing is he's laying these two hypothetical situations side by side. And he's saying, I'm not really sure which one I would choose if I could. I'm not sure exactly what I prefer. If I would prefer to go right now and to die and just be with Christ, that seems like the better option. That seems to be preferable. Oh, to not have to worry about these afflictions anymore. Oh, to not have to worry about the Caesar coming after me. Oh, to not have to worry about the thorn in the flesh. To not have to worry about where I'm gonna sleep or what tent I'm gonna have to make. Man, that, that sounds like the rest that I'm looking for. But, but if I stay with you, if I stay with you, I know that God is going to use that for your good. If I stay with you, I know that God is going to use that so that you can glory in Christ, so that Christ will be magnified. And so he uses the term, he says in here, I am hard pressed between the two. And, and it's literally a picture of like a vice. You know, if you, you put something in the middle of a vice and you begin to close in on it with equal force from both sides, right? You, you close in, or, or it's the picture of, of being uh, pressed in by enemy forces on every side. It's saying, I, I have two options, both of which I love, 
both of which I'm passionate about, both of which I believe can magnify Christ, whether I live or whether I die. And I'm not even really sure which is the better option. I'm not really even sure which one I love most. And he's choosing here between two near identical desires. But Paul is in an enviable position. He's in a position that every single one of you have longed to be in your life. He's in a position that, that you're pursuing even now, every morning when you wake up and every night when you go to bed. He's in a position that is the reason behind your desire to find significance and purpose. Because you see, what Paul has that is so enviable is Paul has two options and both of them are good. Paul only has two options and both of them are good. Option A, they execute him and he gains Christ. It's a good option in Paul's view. In Paul's mind, this is equally as good, maybe even preferable over living. But option B, they release him. He brings glory to Christ. He builds up the church. He's able to continue on in his preaching ministry. That's freedom, isn't it? That's freedom. Freedom is having only good options. Freedom is when you can make a decision and whatever decision that you make, it's a good decision. It's gonna be for your reward. It's gonna be for your benefit. It's gonna be for your increase. It's going to bring joy to you. It's gonna bring contentment to you. It's gonna bring peace to you. That's where Paul is. That's what Paul has found. See, for Paul, his gains are secure and your gains in Christ are secure. See, this is his chief desire anyway. This is his chief desire anyway. It, it doesn't matter. Like if the worst case scenario is realized in Paul's life, the worst case scenario is that they kill him and he receives Christ. This is his chief desire. In verse 23b, he says, uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. The last part of verse 23, for that is far better. That is far better. The word desire the word desire, you know what that means? That, that's the same word that's used in the scriptures to, to be translated as lust, as lust, the, uh, something immoral, right? I, someone that is hungering or has an appetite for, for a woman or for a man, a mistress of some sort, and which is dishonorable and immoral before the Lord. It, it's to have a hunger and a thirst to indulge yourself and to make a purchase that you can't afford. It's the, the desire to have what your neighbor has, to envy them, to have rivalry with them. It's a, it's a hunger and it's an appetite. But Paul takes it here and he uses it in the positive. He says, I'm, I'm not daydreaming about the woman on the Hardy's commercial. I'm not daydreaming about what my neighbor has. I'm not daydreaming on upgrades to my house. I'm not daydreaming on a new toy hauler for the family. Like I'm daydreaming about Christ. I'm daydreaming about Jesus. I want Christ. That's my appetite. That's my hunger. That's my thirst. I have a singular passion, a singular desire, a singular contentment, and it is Christ. See, the Christian that has been set free has two simultaneous joys in this life. On the one hand, they're always thirsty. They're always thirsty. They're, they're always hungry. That is, they've seen how good Jesus is and it's just wet their appetite. They've seen how wonderful the gospel is and it's just wet their appetite. And they want to indulge themselves more in Christ. They want to indulge themselves more in the gospel. They want to indulge themselves more in the truth. But though they are thirsty, they are at the same time satisfied. Though they are hungry, they are at the same time 
full, that we want Christ, but we have Christ. We long for Christ, but Christ has filled us anyway. And so we have the simultaneous freedom that we pursue and we chase after that which we already have. That is, your gain is secure. Your life isn't over. Your, your pursuit isn't over. But you have already walked through the judgment, passed through the judgment, been set free from Christ, and now your crown is already in heaven. God has already prepared a place for you. It will be with unfading glory, and it is already yours. But as sure as that is, as secure as those gains are, there is yet more for you to find, more for you to explore, more for you to discover, more for you to do. It's freedom. See, there is no risk in your investment if your gains are secure. Wouldn't that be awesome? Can you imagine playing the stock market that way? Yeah, I'm gonna go out and buy a couple thousand shares. What happens if it's gonna go down? It's not gonna go down, I just know. My gains are secure. My prize has already been promised. It has already been assured. You have what you need for joy and you will always have what you need for joy. So now, now you can logically live in a way that is irrational and illogical to the world. You can logically live in a way that goes against the fleshly impulses that you have because you have a new impulse, it's Christ. You can forgive the dad that abandoned you. That's not natural. That's not normal. But because you only need Christ and because you have Christ, you have no need to be vindicated in the eyes of your earthly father. So you can forgive him. You, can, you don't have to run up your credit card bill. Your neighbors, they have to do that. Your neighbors, they need the stuff to have some semblance of happiness and joy. But what you need, you just need Christ and you have Christ. And so you don't have to go and buy clothes that you can't afford and cars that are on it going to enslave you. You have Jesus already. And so your joy and your happiness is firm and anchored. You can afford to use vacation time to go on a mission trip because this life is but a fleeting drop in the bucket in comparison to the glory that is yet to come. And the glory that is yet to come has already been secured for you. You can move to China with your family away from their grandparents to reach the unreached peoples of the world. Hard as that is, real as that is, because your joy is secured, your family is secured, your hope is is secured and so now you can go you can go because you are you have Christ and you're going to know Christ and be with Christ forever it anchors you so brothers and sisters what Paul is calling for each of us to do is to live in the freedom that Christ brings to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us to live courageously because of the freedom to live boldly because of the freedom to live joyfully because of the freedom, but to live in the freedom to its fullest extent. And finally, we get to the culmination of the logic behind the gospel-centered life. So, so, so the first layer is that I only want Christ. The second layer is, is I have Christ. I have what I want. And the culmination of this logic 
is that as long as there is a beat in my chest, as long as there is oxygen in my lungs, as long as there is the ability to get out of bed in the morning, I can now live for another's gain. Live for another's gain. I have already gained all things because I have gained Christ. Anything that I can potentially lose, I count it as loss anyway because I have gained Christ. He is mine and he is mine forever. So now I don't have to live for me anymore. I don't have to live for my dreams anymore. I don't have to live for my convenience and my leisure anymore. My joy is secure. My hope is anchored in an irrefutable, immovable rock, a rock called Christ and being anchored into the rock of Christ Christ, now I am set free to live for your good. I am set free to live for your gain. And by living for your gain, I bring increase to God's glory. Not my name, not my prominence, not my reputation, but the reputation of Christ. That there is a culmination of logic in the Christian life that says, now that I have freedom, I will use that freedom to its fullest extent and I will show how sweet Christ is. I will show how satisfying Christ is and I will do it by living every second for his glory, for the expansion of his name. See the way Paul viewed this freedom that he had. The way that that Paul understood that if he is going to live because he knows that dying is gain and living is is gain compared to all loss is like, because of that, he understood that freedom is for fruitfulness. Freedom is for fruitfulness. He says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This is just the outworking of what he means in verse 22, that that if I live, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That regardless of what I face, regardless of what I face, that I know that God has not saved me, secured me so that I can rest in my laurels. I know that God has not saved me and secured me and assured me so that I can enter into a fat retirement and coast for 30 years. I know that Christ has set me free that I might be fruitful in his kingdom. See, I want you to think about this. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I think there's an application to whether if you are living, that because that is true, that we live for Christ like death is gain. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about what it would be like to be invincible? Like this is the human imagination at its finest, right? Like go back and read the epics of old. This is what we're obsessed with, with, with invincibility. Like pick up a Marvel comic book, right? Like, like watch an Avengers movie or something, which, which I don't do, John, I'm sorry. But, but but, but watch some of these things. And what are we infatuated with? What would it be like if we had no weaknesses? What would it be like if we were stronger than everybody else? What would it be like if somebody fired a bullet at us and we could just get out of the way or it would just bounce off? Like, what would life be like if I didn't have anything to worry about? You know, there's a sense and that's the way the Christian lives. We are not invincible. 
And we are not strong. In fact, we are the ones who acknowledge exactly just how weak we are. But though we are not invincible, our gains are invincible. They are secured. They are assured because our Christ is invincible. Our Christ is impervious. Our Christ is reigning over all things. So now we live like dying is a gain because dying is no threat for us. The worst the world has to offer brings us in to the most realized reality that we actually want to be with Christ to be with Christ so for Paul his freedom is for others he's been set free from concerns about himself this is why in chapter 2 he's going to be able to say count others more significant than yourselves it's being so secure in Christ so satisfied in Christ so free in Christ that you can afford now to live for the good of your neighbors and the glory of God at cost to yourself because whatever cost you face, they are temporary expenses. See, all of life boils down to a cost analysis, doesn't it? All of life boils down to a cost analysis. The reason that we don't share our faith with our friends is because we deem the cost too high. The reason that we don't disciple our children in the ways of the Lord is that we, de we determine that the cost is not worth the investment. The reason that we spend more time with Netflix than with the scriptures is because we have determined that, scripture, that that is a more valuable way to spend our time. The reason that we value leisure over mission is because we have determined that we cannot afford a single second apart from the greatest enjoyment that we can know in the here and now. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you, if Christ is not raised, that's how you ought to live. If Christ is not raised, you better live that way because this is all there is. This is all that you have and it is passing by quickly. So if Christ is not raised, eat, drink, and be merry because you better, you better know that every corner needs to be cut, every hardship needs to be avoided, and every indulgence needs to be known. But brothers and sisters, if Christ has been raised and if Christ is who you want, if Christ is already yours forever, playing it safe is is illogical it's irrational playing it safe is foolishness for Christ has secured your freedom already and now you can afford to live for someone else's good and you can afford to live for someone else's glory you can afford to spend your life for the advancement of the cause of Christ because all of this is fleeting and all of this is passing and you are secured already so live brothers and sisters like your gains are invincible live like your hope is invincible. Live like your joy is invincible because Christ, Christ is the conqueror. Christ is the returning king and Christ will triumph over all of these afflictions one day very soon. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. 
So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.